You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 8 through 14 this morning and uh, remind you just uh, in terms of the context that Paul has been Uh, began this section back in chapter 12, verse 1. He's been talking about the implications of the great salvation that we have in Christ, how, how it permeates and affects every part of our lives uh, from a right relationship to God, uh, a right relationship to the church, right relationship uh, to the government, and uh, here in our text this morning, a right relationship to just society Uh, in general, our neighbors, to everybody, uh, if you will. And so this whole section here is an outflowing of of right relationships that come from hearts that have been redeemed by God. And uh, so let's think about how our salvation affects our relationship with everyone around us in these words that Paul writes, chapter 13 of Romans, verse 8. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray together. Lord, once again, we thank you for being able to sing of of the wonderful gospel work that you've done for us, the message of the gospel through your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. And Lord, how humbling it is for us to think of these things and, and then to hold your word in our laps and to recognize and acknowledge that we are, we are humbled by it and we are your servants, your children. We're ready, Lord, to hear from you. So speak to us, Lord, this morning what we need to hear. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease. And your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look back at the end of chapter 12, verse 21, you remember that Paul wrote there, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then he immediately starts in chapter 13 about how we as Christians should relate to the governing authorities, subjecting ourselves to their authority. And uh, chapter 13, verse 3, doing what is good 
That's how we overcome evil with good. We do what is good, he says. And he gives an example, a particular application there of paying our taxes. Paul seems to be uh, painting this picture of how we are to conduct ourselves in the world. That the love that God has poured out into our hearts uh, through Jesus, it causes us to live differently. Uh, to not give in to the evil around us, to not be overcome or overpowered by the evil around us, but instead to overpower it through love, by doing what's good and right, by, by loving. If you'll turn over to Jeremiah for just a moment, I, I, I think there's an illustration of this. Jeremiah chapter 29. In June, uh, I think that is correct, our Sunday school lessons will begin focusing on uh, the book of Jeremiah. And uh, there's a passage there, I think, that illustrates uh, something of what Paul means by overcoming evil with, with good. Jeremiah 29, the prophet is delivering the Lord's message to the Israelites who have now been exiled to Babylon. And uh, so they're living in a foreign land. They're away from Jerusalem. They're now in Babylon, surrounded by Babylon and all of its uh, sinful culture and gods. Here's what he writes, Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Here's the Lord's message to them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel... To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here's what he tells them to do. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. And do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, that is the city's welfare, you will find your welfare. It's interesting, his instructions there to them, he tells them build houses, uh, have kids, uh, multiply, but but also to remember, he, he reminds them that to remember that your exile's here. That this isn't your home. Uh, you, you need to keep your identity. But, but he says, I want you to seek the welfare of, of the city. Literally to, sh- to seek its shalom. To, to seek its peace here in, here in Babylon. How do they do that? Well, by building, by living, marrying, multiplying, all of these different things. He goes on, he gives them a warning not to be overcome by the evil of the Babylonians. Verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. In other words, if we could take the apostles Paul's words and apply that, don't be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. Bring your love and your faith to bear where you're at in Babylon, in that particular city, bring it to bear on the public good of the city. Seek its welfare. Overcome evil with good. I think that's a a fair application of what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 13. He's already told us at the beginning, this is how you live in this state. 
Here's how you respond to governing authorities. Here's how you respond. Now he's saying to those around you. You respond in this way, to love. Notice the connection between verses 7 and 8 when he says, pay to all what is owed to them. Now he's speaking there specifically about paying the taxes that you owe. Be a good citizen. But then he expands it in verse 8. He says, owe no one anything. Or in other words, pay what you owe to everyone. Not just to the state, but to everyone. It's not just to the state that we're to do good, but it is to the citizens of the state. Verse 9, he says, we're to love our neighbors. And so again, the picture that Paul is painting here in these chapters is, is this, we've been transformed by the gospel, we've been saved, we've been redeemed, we're now to live differently. The first call, chapter 12, verse 1, our love is to be focused on God, presenting ourselves to Him as living sacrifices, and then our love is to be focused on God's people, chapter 12, verses 3 through 16, but then that love spills over to even our enemies at the end of chapter 12 we're loving even though enemies around us and then chapter 13 it begins to expand to everyone to our neighbor now notice how paul explains it in the text first he says we should love others because love is an unpaid debt verse 8 owe no one anything except to love each other now he's already introduced this call to love back in chapter 12 verse 9 even before that in view of God's mercies or God's redeeming love shown to us I think it's important when we hear this call to love and to see it as this debt that we're reminded we remember that the basis and motivation for our love for others is grounded in the fact that God has loved us we recall verse 5, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. And that in salvation, God has poured out his love into our hearts through his Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so when Paul is urging us to love your neighbor as yourself... And to remember that God loves us even when we were his enemies. And even if believers fail to love others, we remember that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God through Jesus Christ. And so this command to love each other, it rests on all of that foundation. All of that was said to build this incredible foundation and this call to love each, love each other and to love even those outside is based on the wonderful love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us here to pay off our debts to everyone except the one debt that can never be fully paid, the continuing debt of love. It's kind of a word play. He's connecting these two ideas together, and he explains it very interesting. It's instructive to us in multiple ways. I think one of the great transforming elements of the gospel, and we get a kind of a glimpse of it here, is that believers are those who take responsibility for their lives. They're the kind of people that take responsibility. They want to live with clear consciences, clear accounts, before God, before others, they want to do good, therefore they want to pay their debts, 
Because it is something that, that is in them, the, the conviction that is in them to do right. Just a brief word about this, by the way. The Bible doesn't prohibit lending or borrowing uh, or even debt, I think, but it does regulate it. Uh, and, and we see several scriptures that are pointing to that. Let me give you a, a couple here. Exodus twenty two twenty five 25 uh, says, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. David said uh, that a righteous man, Psalm 37, 26, is ever lending generosity and he goes on right there in Psalm 37. He says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. There's a whole other uh, scope of verses about this. The Bible just doesn't, it doesn't prohibit lending or making returns on investment, but it does prohibit things like usury, um, heedless borrowing, not paying back your, your debts, and, and here in Romans 13, we shouldn't get ourselves, I think what he's saying, we shouldn't get ourselves into financial debts that we cannot pay back. It's not wise to do so. It's not good for testimony. It's not good for your, your conscience, your walk with the Lord. Paul's warning, pay your debts to everyone that you owe. It matters. It matters for your witness, uh, your personal testimony of Christ, it matters in, in, in your conscience of doing what's right. So, so we should give thought to these things. Presenting our bodies as living sacrifices includes that we are presenting our finances to the Lord. That he is Lord of those as well. In this case, if you're in great financial debt, it may hinder your capacity to love others through generosity. And so Paul quickly pivots to this continuing debt of love. Owe no one anything, he says, except to love each other. We should pay off our debts to everyone except the one debt that can never be fully repaid, this continuing debt of love that we're to continue to pay on. If we were to put this in some kind of personal terms, we might say something like this. You owe it to me to love me. Sorry. And I owe it to you. To love you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, this is not a matter of, of choice. This is an obligation to, this is a debt that we have. And the sense is, is that not only can you ever pay that debt of love off, the fact that we are Christians and God's love has been poured out to our hearts means that we don't want that debt to ever be paid off. We actually want to keep loving each other, don't we? It's a blessing to have this debt of love. And need I remind you again of why this is, this is so, uh, Christian, is because you have been loved so much by your God. Have you already forgotten chapter 8? Have you forgotten that there's now no condemnation for those in Christ? Have you forgotten that because of God's love for you that He says in chapter 8, your sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed that your heavenly Father is preparing for you? Have you forgotten that because of His great power that He's working all things in your life 
for good and that this God who did not even spare his own son Romans 8 tells us but gave him up for us all will he not graciously give us all things he says and have you forgotten that there is literally nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord this is the great foundation of this imperative we love because he first loved us and we continue to love because his love never fails in our lives love is a debt that we owe notice it's also though a command to be obeyed we see this in the second point of paul here that love is the fulfillment of the law Second part of verse 8, he says, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He's going to repeat that in verse 10. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. This is such a a radical statement that that the posture of my life is that I owe a debt of love that I can never repay and I owe it uh, to the Lord and I I, I owe it to you, I I owe it to those on, on the outside, I owe it to my neighbor, he says. And it is countercultural for this reason. This is a a debt that we owe, but it's also a command that we obey. Think about how differently the love that Paul is talking about here, think about how differently this message about love is in the world that we hear, where love is all about your feelings. It's all about your desires. It's all about your emotions, all about how you feel towards, towards one another. You know, you, you've, we, we, that old song, you, you've lost that loving feeling. Our culture does not believe that love is a command, but rather it's something that you feel. It's something that's spontaneous. It's something that comes and goes with you, something you give your emotions to. It's all about you. It's all about your desires. It's all about your happiness and your joy. And then we make statements like, you just can't help but who you love or what you love. Do you realize what a distorted view of love that is? Notice Paul says, this true love, this love fulfills the law. That's strange to think about, isn't it? Love and the law together? That's what he says. He's saying that God's law is a guideline for how to love. If you want to know what love looks like, if you want to know how to do good to the people around you, if you want to love others, then look no further than the law of God. He quotes four of the Ten Commandments there, doesn't he? You shall not commit adultery. Why? Because to do so is to hate others. Right? That's not what we hear. Some of them say, oh, it was just love at first sight. We just... We just fell into it. We just couldn't help it. No, no, it, it, it wasn't love at all. It's sin. There's no love in adultery. Look at the carnage that's left behind. Look at the hurt and the, 
the havoc that is wreaked because of that. There's no love in that. You shall not murder, he says. Murder, why? Murder is an act of hatred, isn't it? Now, not all killing is sinful. Remember, the government has the right to bear sword, he said in chapter 13. It's, it, it, is a, it is a loving thing to do to restrain people from doing evil. That's loving. But here, this is, you shall not murder. This is personal, premeditated kind of response of hatred, anger, Jesus said in Matthew 5. He defined it. It is, it is loving it is loving others to do what all that we can to preserve life and safety of people. You shall not steal. It's not loving to do that. Why do we, why do we not steal? Because it's, it's hating to do that. To take something that doesn't belong to you, if it belongs to somebody else, it's not loving in any way. So being loving is seeking to, to live in such a way as to preserve your, your neighbor's property, uh, to be, be fair in your dealings with them, not, not stealing, but protecting. You shall not covet, he says. That teaches us how to love others who have the things that we may lack, which is sometimes hard, isn't it? We, we love, he says, by being content with what God has given to us, by being thankful, living around us, by being thankful with what we have, not resenting other people because of things that they have that we don't have. And then Paul says, uh, any other commandment here, and and... We might think about not bearing false witness against others, being honest. It's a loving thing to be honest, to speak the truth in love. And all of these laws, he says, they're summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. I don't think, as yourself, I don't think Paul is promoting self-love there, but I know there's a couple views on that, but I don't think that's what he means. I think... I think he's sort of pointing out that that's a given, that we're kind of default lovers of ourselves, and that our love for others needs to be as real and sincere and sacrificing and, and premeditated and thoughtful as the love that you would give, that you would think towards yourself. We need to love others. And Paul says, if you live this way, verse 10, this kind of love does no wrong to a neighbor. If we love others, we will not steal from them and slander them and be jealous of them and bear false witness against them or murder, murder them. We will not do these things uh, because they're not loving. Other scriptures point us to positive ways to love others. But the point here is that the law helps us to love in practice. The law of God shows us how to love friends and co-workers and neighbors. It teaches us how to love widows and the orphan and the spouse and the parent and the child. God gives us His Word, His law, for this very purpose so that we will not be led astray by fluctuating emotions and feelings about what we think and feel about what we should love and what we shouldn't, and we would be directed toward a love that is true and right. 
How good is our God in this church? And again, though the law teaches us how to love rightly, it's it's not that we do it because we have to. It's not that he's saying that this is that we have to do this. We do this because we are the recipients of such great love. The law and the and love are not enemies of each other. And I remind you, Jesus said, if you love me, you will. You'll keep my commandments, right? You'll obey me. Love is both a debt that we owe and a command to be obeyed. And because we've believed, the love of God has been poured into our hearts, enabling us to love others. Paul goes on to give a third reason to love others. And that is that love is the urgent call of the hour. It's the urgent call of the hour. This is verse 11. He says, besides this... You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. It's as if Paul is saying to us, do you know what time it is, Christian? Are you aware of what's going on in our world today? It's like he's sounding an alarm. The salvation he's speaking of there, I think, is glorification. I think he's talking about when Christ comes, that that day is getting nearer. That the Christian, as Christians, we live within the time or between the times when sin and darkness reign and a time when the light of Christ comes to rule everything completely. And we're living in that time. And he's saying to us, Paul is saying to us, wake up. If if you're sleepy uh, and complacent, uh, living life for yourself, about you, it's it's time to, to wake up. Why? Because he says, whether we perceive it or not, the night of sin is growing darker. You realize that, right? You realize the world is growing more and more hostile to God. It's opposed to godliness, the godliness on the part of God's people. Jesus said in John 15, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And that hatred is growing. It's a hatred for Christ, ultimately, but it's a hatred for Christ's people. It's a hatred for the godliness that people see in Christ. As the culture continues to set themselves against Christ, the more radical the rejection, the more rapid the disintegration into darkness is going to get. And we're seeing that. But notice he says to us, our call is to wake up. Our call is to love and light, isn't it? He says, what verse? Verse 12, he says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Right? Get up. Not literally, but you know what he's saying. Get up. Get out of your PJs. Get dressed. We're in a war. Jesus is building his church 
And he is building his church on an enemy territory. And so because we're in a war, Jesus is building his church. Ephesians 6 says, put on the armor of God. And here he describes that armor. Notice he he calls it the armor of light, doesn't he? The armor of light. I think biblically that means three things. I think it quickly, I think it means the light of Christ. Ephesians 5, 8 through 13 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. I'll leave the rest of those verses to yourself. I think secondly, it means the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So it means the gospel. It means the light of, of the scripture. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Doriani writes, to know the light and the truth, and to live by it is the best defense against darkness. So, so yes, we find ourselves in Babylon, but we are not overcome by evil, church. We, we are instead to overpower it. How do we overpower it? We overpower it with good, as the light overcomes the darkness, as love overcomes evil. Paul gets very specific once again about what this looks like. He's not vague, some kind of vague notion of a love. It's emotional or feeling. It has no boundaries of truth at all. Verse 13, quite the contrary. He says, here's what it looks like. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Those are the behaviors of the dark, Things that are improper for children of the light. Orgies and drunkenness are activities of, of those in our world who would be said they're just having a good time. But the Christian sets aside those harmful and sinful pleasures. Sexual immorality, once again, not conduct of the children of light. And notice even quarreling and jealousy are described, he said. These evils are included in his list. Paul says in verse 14, but instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Think about all the pictures he's painting. We're told to put on the light. Ephesians 6, we're told to put on the armor of God. Uh, Ephesians 4, we're told to put on the new self. It is in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, we're told to, to, to put on virtue, if you will, to clothe yourself with that list of virtues. Colossians chapter 3. Here we're simply told, put on Christ. Put him on. He, he's, a, he, he's describing him as a garment here the, uh, of our righteousness, our, our, our covering. Put him on, and he says, make no provision for these sinful desires, these sinful behaviors in our lives. Ray Steadman gives an illustration of this. He says, when I get up in the morning, I put on my clothes, 
intending them to be part of me all day, to go where I go and do what I do. They cover me. They make me presentable to others. That is the purpose of clothes. In the same way, the apostle is saying to us, put on Jesus Christ. When you get up in the morning, make him a part of your life that day. Intend that he go with you everywhere you go, that he acts through you in everything you do. Call upon his resources. Live your life in Christ. Put on Christ. That's so important, isn't it, church? This is the only hope and the only strength and the only power that we have while living in Babylon. This is how we overcome evil with good. This is how we overcome our fleshly desires, our sins. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ and we give no opportunities for sin in our lives. This is the application of what Paul was saying to us back in chapter 6. Um... Remember there, he, he told us, you are dead to sin. You remember that? You're dead to sin, alive to God in Jesus Christ, but you're dead to sin. And so he said, Romans 6, chapter 11, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here you are, here we are in Babylon. Sin's all around us. Temptations all around us, all of these. But, but he says, you consider yourself dead to that. And you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're called, you and I are called to live and to love in such ways that point other people to the light of Christ in us. Love others because it's an unpaid debt. Love others because it's a fulfillment of the law. And love others because it's the urgent call, the urgent need of the hour. How is your love for others today? I hope that you haven't let the hardness of life harden your hearts toward others. Because that's easy to do, isn't it? Babylon is a dog-eat-dog world. It's easy to become hardened cynics towards those around you. And it's also easy to buy into the world's definition of love, which is ultimately to serve yourself and your own desires and to live based on your own feelings and not on the Word. There's an urgency about this call. The day is at hand, Paul says. The time to respond is now. Cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Put on Jesus Christ and make no provision for our sinful desires. And let us live in love and good deeds until he comes. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We pray your help in this, Lord, because it is difficult and hard. We're thankful that those of us in Christ, that you have poured out your love into us. Lord, help us to pour that love out to others. We pray today for those perhaps who are here listening of this who do not know you. 
Perhaps the God of this world has blinded them to see the light of Jesus. We pray today that you might remove the blinders, Lord, open their eyes to see the love of Jesus Christ for them, that they would turn from their sins and trust in him. And we pray it even right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.